Some of you might have had a little flashback there to uh, a past uh, or maybe another uh, setting in which you stand for the gospel reading. Uh, It's a practice we're going to be stepping into and stepping up to, literally, as we we continue into this next larger season, not only Advent, but we're going to be moving into the lectionary uh, and going in a course that's a three-year course. You think about sermon series and when you have the scripture passages and the different themes and titles, and you think, yeah, the next six weeks, the next three years, <laughs> we've got the text already. So we're all set and ready to go uh, with that. There's a lot of uh, resources that come with that. I do want to draw your attention to those just briefly here as we get into the sermon. Uh, one, you'll notice at the top of your worship program, you'll see uh, underneath the date, you'll see the scripture texts that are used. Each of those, the four passages, the references there are the lectionary passages for the day. And so that's what's being used uh, throughout the worship service. If you want to go back and look at those uh, during the week, that'd be appropriate. Another thing to note is in the season of Advent, we have resources that we use here locally, uh, here at Knox. One is outside. You'll see the uh, art installation out in the atrium there uh, from Advent Art Night. And so uh, a place uh, that can be used for reflection and walking through that and slowly meditating, maybe even on text each week, but also looking at uh, what folks have put together there in the various artwork that's been compiled. And you can see also on the insert, there's one that's being used here in today's insert, as well as in the back, there's a reading from Psalm 122, again, going to lectionary, along with a prayer uh, that you can use for the day or for the week. So different resources, uh, my encouragement to you would be to, to draw on those, to avail yourself of those, those resources that are there. So birds have been eaten. Anybody eat a bird this weekend? Anybody still eating a bird? Parades have been watched. I know on Thursday I turned on the television to watch the parade. I was on the wrong channel. And I ended up watching the start out. I guess early on they had the parade. Obviously the Macy's parade out of New York City but was one I was trying to catch. But there was one out of Philadelphia that was on. ABC, I think, is the station that had it on. And I was watching I was thinking, that doesn't look like New York at all. <laughs> and I was all confused there for a while. I was thinking, that looks like that place that Rocky ran up during the Rocky movie. Sure enough, it was. And so, uh, but parades have been watched, birds have been eaten. Uh, Far too early morning shopping excursions have been taken. Anybody go out on Black Friday? Anybody? I was at Fred Meyer in the 4 o'clock hour for a $5 gift card. (laughs) Now you know how much my time is worth. (laughs) Apple cups have been lost and won. Go Northwest College Eagles. Okay. Decorations have been unpacked in some houses, homes festively adorned, and the beginning of the season that will lead to Christmas has now been launched. Of course, in just a few days, uh, we'll start using those Advent calendars that we may have purchased. Maybe you're going to be following along with Harry Potter or Legos or whatever Advent calendar you have in your home. But today, the liturgical season of Advent begins. And if you love Christmas... And I mean, if you really love Christmas. Who really loves Christmas here? Anybody like that? There's, is everybody here lives in a 365 Christmas house? Anybody like that? You have like decorations in your house? No? Okay. I drive by some houses every once in a while. They have their Christmas lights up year-round. I don't know if that's the same thing. But the wait between now and Christmas can be absolute agony. If you have a child in your household is between ages four and five, you're reminded that that day is coming. There's books, of course, dedicated to this idea. I've referenced uh, this before. Gerald and Piggy uh, have a whole book that's based on the notion that waiting isn't easy, which is why there's a certain wisdom to why office waiting spaces have those colorful fish tanks. 
and why they have those tired and worn magazines, and why the Wi-Fi connections are there for our smart devices, each serving to ease our anxious weight, so that we can sort of, as we say, pass the time. But we don't live in a lobby, and life is not a waiting room, right? We don't live in a lobby. Life is not a waiting room. Life is supposed to be more than a transitional space for us. There's something that's supposed to happen here and now. There's something that's supposed to be experienced here in the present, that we're somehow supposed to be rooted here, but also looking ahead. And so Advent invites you and me once more to put that reality back on. Maybe we got away from it a little bit during the year. The challenges of the year might have taken us where we've retreated back to the nostalgia of the past. Or maybe we've gone ahead and tried to live into the future because the present has been too difficult. Of course, Jesus here will say just as much uh, to us of how we should live in this season. How there's a different possibility for how life should take shape. He names that possibility to his, to his listeners both in the first century as well as today when he says this. Keep awake. Wake up. Keep awake. The Apostle Paul as well will write in Romans with active words as he says to the Roman Christians, throw off, put on, walk decently. And so this is all language that tells us, that stirs us up to keep us active, to keep us mindful of the present. And not a hint of idling is here. There's no setting being parked in neutral, as we might say. In fact, when a group of early Jesus followers determined that God's coming future meant that they could just sort of coast in the present. Here's what the apostle said to them. Do you remember what this, when he said this in 2 Thessalonians? Get back to work! He goes on to say, never tire of doing what is good. So this new season provides for you and me, Jesus followers. Whether you're a new Jesus follower or you've been following Jesus for years now. It provides us with the space to get on board. Maybe once again with what God is up to. And we do that in commemorating, of course, God's promises accomplished in Jesus Christ and Christmas. Of course, we celebrate that celebration, that commemoration, but we also do it in preparing for what's coming. Not so much looking ahead, as though we might overlook the present day situation, but rather looking forward and anticipating with hope. And here's what's coming. The prophet Isaiah talks about this. We heard that uh, already from the outset of the candle lighting, what this prophet imagines a future when the Lord's house will be set high and exalted. It will have a position in which all the nations will stream towards it. They'll receive instruction from that place and they'll faithfully walk in God's path. So when we talk about the international flavor when we come to the table, this will be that day when the entire world, all nations, come together and stream towards that instruction and quite literally live into that righteous way of life, that faithfulness. It's a future in which the nations literally join the psalmist, who in Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It's not an arm twisting. It's not an inquisition. It's rather people joyfully receiving the good gifts of God for them, recognizing God's grace and being embraced and enfolded by that same grace. And so it's more than just going to church. It's not people saying, wow, we're going to spend eternity listening to some guy up there in a robe talking at us. No! 
It's a grand celebration. Wow, Jimmy's fired up today. What did that guy have for Thanksgiving? Halibut, right? Isn't that weird? It's more than going to church. It's this coming future is one of peace. Of course, Isaiah goes on to say, and that's not just the absence of war. That's not just what the peace we're talking about here. And of course, it's a great start. But rather, it's the well-being of all persons. It's a sense of justice, this Jewish sense of shalom, reconciliation at all levels. Of course, Jerusalem holding a prominent place in all of this, and it should, because the name itself holds within it that same word uh, for shalom. And so it's appropriate to see that as the center of this vision. When we look toward the future that the prophet cast, we see that's a future where war is not only obsolete, we also see that disputes are arbitrated here by the true sovereign Lord. And that the tools that once served for war making, those weapons of destruction and death, are now fashioned into instruments of peace. That for Isaiah, they become instruments that move from death to life. They're instruments that cultivate and harvest, not kill. I think Isaiah's earliest readers would hear all this as a nation that's being surrounded by imminent war and destruction. That they're facing their certain death by these conquering empires and certainly a very large empire is waiting to come and conquer them. And so they would hear these words and it would be a hopeful message for them. But it's also a hopeful message for us today who know the reality of war, of death, and of destruction. At the same time, our vision here would be impaired if we were just to say, here's what's coming. Because in the Christian instruction and teaching, it's deeply connected and rooted just as it was in the Jewish teaching with who is coming. It's not just what's coming, but there's also who is coming that's important. Matthew's gospel, that who is identified as the Son of Man, our Lord. We see four times talking about the Son of Man coming or the Lord coming. And so there's no confusion on this point. And I don't want there to be any confusion. Jesus is referring to himself. That he's the one who's coming. Of course, you hear that, and we know that the church has confessed this through all generations, this coming one, this one who will come again. Of course, that's been captured in all kinds of writings and, and of course, confessions. But in recent years, there's been a strange fascination that has formed around this doctrine of Jesus coming again, with perhaps some even more peculiar applications for what to do with that. Of course, it dabbles in those areas of our own trying to escape from suffering and death and aging. Hopefully Jesus will come back in my lifetime so I don't have to face any of those things. Or even trying to read the signs, becoming so into that and so focused on that, that that becomes what Christian maturity looks like. If you somehow know the signs, uh, then you've somehow read the Bible to its full extent. And so we should pause here today on this day in Advent to consider for a moment, exactly what the return or the second advent means and what it doesn't. Now, I grew up in a, a community where there was this kind of fascination with second coming. We'd have someone get up there with a chart, and they would show us a whole chart, and they explained to us why uh, the, the merging of the two Germanys uh, once more, when East and West came back together, that that was a, a, a demarcation that the end was soon to be here. I think they said they were Magog, and they referred to Russia as Gog, or the Soviet Union was Gog and Magog. I have no idea, this many years later, having gotten degrees in Bible and theology, what on earth they were talking about. But there's a fascination there that comes with that. And it, it, there's sort of a, a, a misshapenness that happens here. 
We know that this, this strange fascination, that it's, it's been a place where books have been published. There's been all kinds of works and videos. You go to YouTube, you can see all kinds of videos that, that have been produced. Uh, that all these pieces, this publishing industry that has risen up out of this, is, is something that speaks to the truth that there's gold and there's those hills. There's a fascination there, that there's a popularity. But this kind of emphasis doesn't seem to be what Jesus or Paul have in mind when they talk about this situation. They're not so much located in when it's going to happen. In fact, Jesus comes right out and says, no one knows. No one knows. That's not the important part. That's not the part they're trying to get to here. But rather, both make the point that God's future fulfillment is imminent. That's how we're to live. When will it happen? We don't know. But it's imminent. And they use these imagery of Noah and the ark, the imagery of a thief who comes at night. Paul using the idea that the day is near. This is all language to get to that sense that the Christian life is lived as though the second advent is imminent. It's not something where we say, well, it's five years from now, so I've got some time to do what I want before I get to that point to get serious. But rather to live as though there is an imminent sense to this. And so Jesus' followers today and even back in those first century and all the centuries in between are to live ready lives. In fact, there's a writer, John Buchanan, who's a retired Presbyterian minister. He's a minister. He speaks to this point when he writes, and particularly looking at the Romans text, he says, unlike modern purveyors of eschatological nonsense, Paul urges the community to settle in and live responsibly and honorably, avoiding excessive behavior and getting along with one another. He exhorts them to live life as thoroughly as Jesus lived it, instructing them to put on the Lord Jesus Christ as if it were a new suit of clothing. So we today might use language like this, eye on the prize, or following the author of Hebrews, eye on Christ, having an eye towards who's coming as we prepare for that day for when what's coming. Of course, that all sounds easy, but like physical vision, seeing at night, seeing in the darkness is difficult. Today we enter an Advent season where once again wars and rumors of war abound. Conflict rages across the Ukrainian landscape. Missile tests and posturing in the east continue to fill the headlines. Rumors of possible attacks on giant sporting events like the World Cup are reported. And they're just, those are just some of the hot spots and threats we know of. Hardly a week passes by in our lives when yet another senseless mass casualty event is perpetrated. When I wrote that sentence in the sermon, two more episodes happened since I wrote that. So I had a few in mind already that were happening, and then two more happened since I wrote that. Hardly a week passes when yet another uh, census mass casualty event is perpetrated against civilian populations, schools, houses of worship, bars, and public gathering spaces. Once places of shelter and refuge are now targets. Hardly feels like the future that Isaiah describes, does it? doesn't feel like that peaceful place. It feels like a scary place. It doesn't feel like the imminent coming of something beautiful, but rather the imminent coming of a threat of death and destruction that will rip apart our lives. Of course, all this is night and darkness that veils our experience. Add to this darkness runaway greed and infatuation with consuming and measuring ourselves by stuff, all of which find expression in this season we're in now as we prepare for the holiday. 
our cultural spokespeople, reinforce these quote-unquote values, almost as though they're national birthrights, that we're supposed to live this way, that we're supposed to be this greedy, that we're supposed to consume this much stuff. Of course, we're not surprised by this. We're not shocked. It doesn't come out of nowhere. We've been singing about it since the 70s and even longer before that. If you like sticks, you know the grand illusion. Sang about it in the 70s. But if you're like, sticks, who's that? Who's this guy? Sticks? Okay. How about Macklemore? Sang about it in Wings. Some of you are building a stairway to heaven. Right? We sing about this stuff. There's, that message is out there. And that just names a few. But our failure to confront these led not only to a kind of blindness to both present and future, thereby creating more and more darkness, but very much reflect the days of Noah lifestyle. A lifestyle that's consumed radically by the present. And it says I have to feed, and I have to feed the hunger that I have now. I have to scratch the itch I feel at this moment. But here is where hope can take hold, can lead us down a new path, a new direction. Instead of living in fear or living out of fear and amidst the very real darkness of the way life presents itself to us, we're called in Isaiah to walk in the light of the Lord. <coughs> we're called in Romans chapter 13 that the promised day, though, isn't here yet. Remember this, the night is far gone, the day is near. So let us then throw off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk decently as in the day. And just as Jesus himself says, don't meet the darkness with closed sleepy eyes that lead to further darkness, but rather keep awake, be ready. This all is serious business, a forward-looking life that contends with even the unpleasant realities of today and the very real promise of God or what God has for our future. As Leanne Van Dyke so keenly observes here, Advent hope is not a yearly exercise of playing pretend. Instead, Advent hope is fully aware of what was, what is, and what is to come. And we hold these together in our lives today here on this first Sunday of Advent. So to borrow a phrase or a title from John Piper, who wrote a book after giving a, a talk to thousands of young people, and he wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. We don't want to waste our Advent, so don't waste your Advent. During my college years, one of my brothers uh, worked for Warm Beach Camp. He was hired as a recreation intern, and he decided to invite my other brother and myself to join him for a day of recreation on their newly installed uh, high ropes course. If you're not familiar with a high ropes course, uh, here's what, pretty much what it is. Imagine uh, different obstacles and initiatives that are suspended 20, 25, 30 feet off the ground. You climb up there, which is kind of an odd feeling to climb your way up there. Um, but you climb up there, and it's the type of thing that you might imagine for military training. Uh, maybe you've gone through uh, that kind of specialized training, and, and you've done this type of this work. Uh, or perhaps something if you're a circus performer. You might climb up to those heights. I would call it something else. Terrifying uh, would be the word I would use. But what might be even more terrifying than the course itself is how you exit this particular course. It was called the giant swing. Now that sounds like kid stuff. Swing, that sounds fun, right? That's a, a playground equipment. But what, the, what it is is essentially uh, you get hooked up 
uh, to, quote-unquote, the giant swing. You're asked to sit on a platform, and when you're ready, you jump off the course. Like I said, terrifying. I remember thinking, you know, everything you do on this course is physical. You've got to jump over something. You've got to balance across something. You've got to climb over this and that. But when we got to that moment, there's nothing physical about it. Because gravity will take its course, you'll be pulled off course. All you have to do is drop. And so most of it is mental at that point. And so exhausted from navigating the course, I remember sitting there the first time I jumped off the giant swing. I remember sitting for a few moments trying to collect myself, trying to tell myself what I had told myself over the last hour as I went to the course, which was don't fall off the course, trying to convince myself that now was the time to fall off the course. It was hard to trust that the swing would do what the swing was designed to do. It was hard to lean into that future, to literally lean off that platform and let myself fall, knowing that it would catch me. But isn't that what Advent prepares us for? This season is designed to prepare us to be that place where we lean in to that future reality and we trust that what's coming will catch us. And yes, there's a part of our lives that's scary. And yes, there's a part where we don't trust that Isaiah had it right. We could only see what's in the darkness right now. But like that giant swing, what God has planned for us, the grace that's been extended to us is a grace not only for the moment, but it's a promise for the future. And so as we commemorate God's promises in Jesus Christ who has come, we also hold out hope that God's promises that Jesus Christ will come again will in fact come about. And so on this first Sunday of Advent, we're invited to that question. Will we lean into the future that God has promised? Will it be the place that we place our hope that I might add is well placed? In closing, let me just say this briefly. Hasn't that been our prayer this morning already? Haven't we already prayed that promise and trusted that with our words? O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here till the Son of God appear. And here's where the hope part. Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. That's our prayer as we lean into God's promises for today and forever.